Good morning, church. Um, glad to be with you this morning and have been praying for you uh, that God is, is moving in your home or wherever you're uh, watching this and worshiping with us this morning. Um, just thankful for who God is, the, the promises he gives us that are true, that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, that we have a foundation in Christ uh, that cannot be shaken. And I uh, hope you're encouraged by that this morning. Uh, before we get into the message today, I want to uh, just take a second and tell you about a couple of things. One is that we are, um, as I talked about last week, we're going to keep pressing forward as a church. Um, I know some things are changing in our state with some things being opened up a little bit more, and, and we're praying through that and how that affects our church and ways we can get people uh, together in, in, uh, in safe ways uh, to, to be able to worship together again and, and really seeking out the right timing on that. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to continue to push forward um, with things like baptisms. Uh, in fact, I want to encourage you that if you uh, feel like your next step right now, God has been putting this on your heart that you've come to faith in Christ uh, at some point, but you've never been baptized, you've never been baptized in a response to the faith you've put in Christ, then we want to be able to walk with you in that and through that. And if you'll let us know, um, again, that, that this is something that God's leading you to, we want to be able to walk with you. We want to be able to see you get baptized. It may look a little different than what we've typically done, but different is okay. Different is, is very good oftentimes. And so we want to be able to do that. Let us know. Email us. Um, call the office. Let us know. Um, that this is something God's put on your heart so that we can uh, come alongside you in that and help uh, make that happen for you as you take that step of faith. Um, other things like uh, connect groups. I want to encourage all of our connect groups. Listen, um, continue to meet, even if it's through Zoom, right, or, or FaceTime or whatever it is that you, you can use. Meet with uh, technology if, if that's the way that uh, you're comfortable going about it right now. Um, meet that way, but let's meet somehow. In fact, we believe this uh, so much that in the next few weeks, we're going to be launching some new connect groups. Even if they continue to meet on Zoom, we're going to press forward with the mission of God and with what God's called us to do. We're going to continue to do what God leads us to do, to connect believers or unbelievers to God. We're going to do everything he leads us to do to connect believers to each other, and we're going to continue to press forward in the mission that God has for us. And so those types of things we're going to continue uh, to move forward with. Um, it may look different. Uh, hopefully it's going to look different. Uh, as I talked about last week, coming out the other side of this, that the church isn't the same. And I want to continue talking to you about that this week. Um, today is going to be somewhat of an introduction uh, to some things we'll unpack more next week. Uh, there was a lot that I felt like I was seeing in Scripture that God was putting on my heart. And so I feel like today will be somewhat of an um, introduction to what God uh, has laid on my heart for this week and next week. Um, I want to kind of go back through real quick how we settled on this uh, series we're doing right now called Opportunity. Um, as I was praying uh, last week, um, last Saturday to be exact is when this really began to be cemented in my heart. 
Um, and what I started seeing and what I felt like the Lord had been showing me for a while and kind of brought all together was that we are in a time where there's a great opportunity for renewal and a return of the church back to God's design, which is what we're going to talk about today, that the opportunity we have is to return back to God's design. Last week, we talked about let them lay. Don't pick up these things that are distractions from us fulfilling God's purpose, not not taking up the idols that have, 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 are laying now that God has really ripped away from us and have toppled. Let's not pick those back up, um, but let's press forward into God's design. And so we have this great opportunity. I told you last week that I believe that transition leads us to transformation. We talked the last couple of years about being in a transitional season, but I believe we are moving from a transition and entering into a place, a time of transformation. Um, it'll be first with us as followers of Jesus, but second, for the church as a whole, that God is moving us into a place of transformation. I believe that this, this virus and what's happened because of it has the opportunity to be for us like a modern day stoning of Stephen. When Stephen was stoned, the church had been commanded to go into all the world, but the church was still gathering in Jerusalem. Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out, and it says that all but the apostles were scattered and the gospel began to go forward. I believe that this has the opportunity, we have the opportunity for this time to be like that, that this time can, can cause us to move out of our buildings and into God's purposes, that we no longer see a gathering on Sunday as the end goal, but we realize that our purpose is found not in the confines of a building, but in a world sharing the love of Christ. I believe that we far too long as the church tried to get people inside the building, we need to focus on getting Christians outside the building, functioning as they are called to function. I believe we're gonna see a, really a return to the church being a true priesthood of all believers. I don't believe we're gonna lean so heavily on an institution or a religious system. We're gonna see the church begin to function the way it's designed to function. And I believe this, that what God wants to do, what he's desiring to do, what he's planning to do cannot be contained in our old paradigms. He stripped those away from us because we would have never left them otherwise. And so I wanna continue talking through this opportunity. I wanna continue looking at this and really today I hope challenging us um, to ask ourselves, what if? What if we truly embrace this time and we truly begin to step into God's design, if we truly begin to move and step into God's design, not picking back up what we've always known, what, not picking back up what's always hindered, but we embrace God's design and we move into it faithfully. I wanna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump into this, um, this message. And again, I really wanna challenge you with this thought, what if? What if we fully embrace God's design for us as the church? Father, we thank you 
We thank you that you are an intentional God, that you have a very specific design, a very specific form, a very specific function for your church. We thank you, God, that even in this time we're in, we see that not even the gates of hell can prevail against your church, that your church continues to go forward even in the midst of this season we are in, God. And as we look back over the history of the church, there's so many bumps in the road and there's so much missed opportunity, but the one thing that is so inspiring is your church continues on. And I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for every person, God, that today is, is joining and worshiping you, God, whether it's through uh, this worship service, through this church, or another body worshiping God. I, I am thankful, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would stir their hearts by your spirit. God, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts and give us greater understanding into who you are and who we are and who we're called to be. Lord, give us the courage to take great steps of boldness to move into and embrace the design you have for your church. Lord, I do pray this morning for those who are hurting, who are suffering. Pray for those right now who feel weak. I pray, God, that you would move in them, that they would know you are very real and very present to them. That you bring peace, strength, comfort, healing, power into their lives. And would you empower us, your body, so we move forward with your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start off this morning by making a statement, um, and I want to put it up here for you to be able to see it. Um, and that is this, that achievement and failure begin with what if. Achievement and failure begin with what if. I, when I started thinking about this whole what if thing, it made me think about a song, and um, that it's a Kane Brown song. Some of you are probably familiar with it. Um, and it talks about, you know, what if. That's not really what I'm referring to, but that was one of the things that kind of popped into my mind as I began to think about this question. Um, but it kind of does apply in the song. Um, the guy's basically saying, what if this was meant to be? The girl's basically saying, what if you break my heart? There's this what if thing happening, right, where we look at it and we go, what if the negative happens or what if the positive happens? Um, there's a what if, I would say this, there's a what if of faith and there's a what if of fear. There's a what if of faith, there's a what if of fear. And I would challenge us with this thought today that most people, including me at times, we are driven, bound, and controlled by the what if of fear more than we are energized, liberated, and compelled by the what if of faith. We are oftentimes driven, bound, and controlled by the what if of fear more than we are energized, liberated, and compelled by the what if of faith. We think about the what ifs and we look at the negative. We think about the what ifs and think about what about the failure. We look at the what ifs and we are, are controlled by fear of, of what if something happens and it's not what I desire, it's harmful. Instead of looking at the what if and going, what if this is the best thing that I've ever done? What if 
God does what God says he will do. And he shows up and moves in an incredible way. And this what if of faith compels us to step further into God's plan for us and for his life, for our life and the life of his church. Here's something else I want you to see. And we're going to jump in and look at some scripture in this that shows us these things. This is what happens in our lives. The question of what if, whether it's positive or negative, will ultimately lead us to a conclusion, a decision. And then that decision, that conclusion, will lead us to action or inaction. We'll look at a situation and, and, and we'll uh, come up with the what if question. And if our perspective lands on a what if that says I'm living in fear versus a what if that says I'm gonna step by faith, then we draw a conclusion that I'm not gonna do this or I'm going to do this, and that leads us to action or inaction in following God's plan and purposes for our lives. Let's turn right now real quick. I want us to look at this in Matthew chapter 14. Very popular passage of scripture here, um, but I want us to look at it because I think we see this really clearly in this passage. It's the passage where Jesus uh, walks on water and uh, Peter is called out upon the water uh, and he walks with him. I want you to see this. Let's read verses 25 through 33. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So Jesus has sent his disciples ahead of him. They're, they're on the lake um, and Jesus is now walking out to them. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Can you see this mindset of Peter that says, if it's Jesus, I can step out of this boat. What if I step out of this boat and, and I begin to walk on the water and I begin to move towards Christ? And there's this, what if, if this is Christ, then this is possible. If this is Jesus, then all things are possible. If he calls me to come, I'm gonna step on the water and I'm gonna begin to walk by faith. And then Peter gets out of the boat. He begins to walk towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Can you see this transition though? That Peter then moves from this what if of faith that if this is Jesus, God can do anything. I'm gonna step, I'm gonna trust what Jesus has just told me to do and I'm gonna step because all things are possible with God. And then the wind begins to blow, the waves are kicking up and he starts to go, what if you know, this is gonna make me drown? What if something bad's gonna happen? This what if begins to, sweep over him. He begins to sink. But it says in verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? There's another example of this in Numbers. And the Bible's full of these examples. But if you go to Numbers chapter uh, 13, and in this, uh, God's called the Israelites, his people, the, the Jewish people, he's called them to go into the promised land. They decide they're going to send in some spies who they're going to go into the land, spy out the land, come back and give 
everybody a report on the land. And I want you to listen to Numbers 13, 26 through 33. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent it, and it does flow. They were told it flows with milk and honey, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And so they're bringing this negative report. These, these spies are bringing a negative report, or 10 of them at least are bringing a negative report. Then Caleb silenced the people. Caleb and Joshua, out of the 12 spies, the only two who saw the what if, as God can do this. What if we go in and God does exactly what he said he's going to do? And what if we inhabit the land? And what if God is glorified? Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So you've got these 10 spies who were saying, what if we go in there? We're gonna get annihilated. We're gonna get destroyed. And you've got two, Caleb and Joshua, who were gonna say, let's go in because we know that God has called us to it. Well, what if we go in and God does exactly what he says he will do? Don't we know the God who's brought us out of Egypt? Don't we know the God who's performed all these signs and wonders, who provided for us, who delivered us? Don't we know that that God is promised? What if we go in and God does exactly what he says he will do? But the people were convinced, the people rebelled against God. Because of that, that whole generation never went into the promised land. And I want you to see this, your what if and the conclusion that you draw will not only impact you, but it'll impact other people's conclusions around you and it'll impact their action or their inaction. I wanna spend the rest of our time looking at this. I want us to look at some what if challenges. These are challenges that I see for us as a church these are challenges that I feel we need to look at and embrace and answer honestly. These are challenges that we need to count the cost for and we need to decide, am I in or am I out? Are we gonna embrace the what if of faith or are we gonna live in the what if of fear? The first one is this. What if, what if we took bold steps of faith to discover and align with God's design. We're gonna look at this design more next week, but what if we took bold steps of faith to discover and then align with God's design, to discover, to, for God to reveal, for God to show through his word, illuminating it by the Holy Spirit, and then to take bold steps of faith in obedience to align with God's design for his church. See, 
What if we, instead of retreating back to what we've known, this broken normal, what if we return to God's design for the church and his people? God had a specific design, a specific form, a specific function for the church. When um, an architect or someone designs a building, they, they keep two things in mind. They have to keep in mind the form of the building. What's it going to look like? How's it going to look? Is it going to be architecturally pleasing? But they also have to keep in mind the function. God has a design, a form, and a function for the building. And those two work together. I, I remember when I first got into uh, the roofing business and I was working actually out on the Performing Arts Center at Georgia Southern and there's a huge fly tower uh, that's part of the theater and we had to put wall panels all the way up the theater uh, wall, the fly tower wall and there was this product that was um, that was specified to be used. And so we got it, it looked fine, it seemed okay. It had this black track that ran behind the panel. You put the panel in the track and so it was like a plastic track. Well, it looked good, it, it seemed like it would work, but as we laid the track out in the sun, it was, it, it was hot, it was kinda like uh, middle of summer time, so the sun was really hot. Um, we go and we start working, we turn around and look and all of the track is all like, just like it was melting. It was all twisted up and the, pla the, the plastic it was made out of was, was just buckling under the heat of the sun. And if you go by there right now, the form is good. It looks good, right? I guess it's still up there. But the functionality of the system was not good. God's design of form and function worked together. Another example, um, I like to build things. And, and one of the things I enjoy doing is welding. Now, my welds are the exact opposite of those wall panels. If you've ever welded, it's not the easiest thing to do at times. And so um, when you begin to weld, uh, my welds are very strong. They function. Haven't had really anything break yet. But the form is not good. It does not look good. The, the, the form, the function is good. The form is not. With God's church, there is a form. There is a way. There is um, a design for the form of the church. With God's church, there is a function. There is a very specific function that God has for his church. And I want us to see this. If you go and look um, at Exodus chapter 26, really Exodus chapter 25 through 31 is where God is laying out this vision of the tabernacle to Moses. He's telling them what it's going to look like. I'm just gonna read a few of these verses because I just want you to get a picture of this because we're gonna see how specific God is in the design and the form and the function of his church. It says in Exodus 26 verse one, he says, make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue purple, purple and scarlet yarn, um, with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end of the curtain in one set and do the same with the end of the curtain in the other set. He goes on and, and all of this stuff, and we read it on, it's just amazing and incredible how specific God is 
in giving Moses these instructions about the tabernacle, this place that would be symbolic of God's presence with his people. He says, listen, this is how specific I am about the form of this building or this, this tabernacle and the function of it. This is how it's all supposed to work together down to the furnishings and its purpose for existence. The tabernacle was eventually replaced by the temple. If you go over to 2 Chronicles, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 28. King David wanted to build a temple for God. This was going to replace the tabernacle, a permanent place that was, wasn't moved all over, but a permanent place for God. But God told David, he said, no, you're not the one to build the temple. Solomon, your son, will build the temple. And so David receives the plans for the temple from God. I want you to listen to this in 1 Chronicles 28, 11. It says, then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms in the place of atonement. He gave him the plans, listen, he gave him the plans of all that the spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasures of the temple of God and for the treasures of the dedicated things. If you go on and you keep reading there, he starts going through the details of what uh, was supposed to be in the temple, what the temple was supposed to look like, how the temple was to be constructed, all of this. If you get over to 28:19, it says this, and this David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. And so basically what it's saying is that God, just as he had been very specific and very intentional with the form and the function of the tabernacle, he was just as specific with the form and the function of the temple. God had a very specific purpose for the tabernacle, for the temple. Both of these things, very important because they signified God's presence amongst his people. Now, if you go to the New Testament, and you look at passages, and there's more than this, but just a couple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when we look at verse 16 and 17, Paul in this is trying to keep uh, the people from fighting over following different leaders. Some are following a guy named Apollo. Some are following Peter. Some are saying, I follow Paul. And he says this in verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, meaning the church, the body? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Over in Ephesians, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter two, he says this, he says in him, in other words, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Just as specific and just as intentional that God gave a design, a form and a function to the tabernacle and to the Old Testament temple, God has a form and a function. He has a design for his church today. What if we take bold steps of faith 
to discover and align with God's design, even if that doesn't align with what we were handed down, even that, if that doesn't align with what we've always known, even if it wants to invoke some uh, caution or even fear into our lives, what if we boldly take steps of faith to discover and align with God's design for his church? The next one is this. What if? What if we believe God still turns fearful people into fearless people? What if we still believe and live like God still turns fearful people into fearless people? We see this throughout scripture. I'm not gonna go read them all, but you go to Exodus chapter four, verse one. God is, as Josh talked about, is calling Moses to come and to, to lead the people out of Egypt. But in the very beginning, as God is speaking to Moses, Moses says, what if they don't believe you sent me? He's struggling. He's thinking of all the what ifs. He goes on later and says, I don't speak well. And yet God changed Moses. He took a man who was fearful, made him fearless, not that he never had a doubt again, made him fearless to go in and fulfill his purpose. You go to Judges chapter six. You look at the life of Gideon. Gideon is, is, is in a place he's fearful. He's threshing weed in a wine press and hiding from the enemy. You thresh weed on a hill where the wind can blow away the chaff and he's down in a hole trying to count out enough grain for his family to eat. An angel of the Lord appears to him, tells him that he's gonna be a great and mighty warrior, sees him as a great and mighty warrior. And he begins to tell him all the things he's gonna do. But Gideon is like, I'm the least of my clan. What can I do? And, and then God works through Gideon's life in different ways. And he takes a man who's fearful and makes him fearless so that he goes and routes an entire army with 300 people. Look at the disciples' lives. Go read through the gospels and then into the book of Acts and, and you begin to see the change in their lives after the resurrection and the giving of the spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. They went from fearful people to fearless people who would lay down their lives. They didn't spend their life trying to preserve their life. They laid down their life for Jesus and for others. The next one, what if, what if we live like God's promises are true? What if we live like God's promises are true? We go back to the scripture we read about the spies going into Egypt or into the promised land, into Canaan. And they're going in and checking all this out. And they come back and, and, and Joshua and Caleb, they realize God has promised that he'll give us this land. They wanna act on God's promises. They believe God's promises are true, but, but the others rally against them and they end up not going into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb eventually, but many, many years later. What if we really acted like God's promises are true? What if we really believe scriptures like Luke 11, five through 13, where Jesus gives an example of about prayer and asking for God to give us the Holy Spirit. And it's a lesson on having this shameless boldness coming to God and this resilience and resolve that I'm gonna keep pursuing because I believe that God's promises are true. And in that passage, he promises 
that if we ask and we seek and we knock, that we will find. And he promises that if we ask God to give us more of the Holy Spirit, that he will give him to us. What if we didn't just flippantly go through life talking about this third person in the Godhead called the Holy Spirit and we live like he really exists and we live like the Bible is true and we begin to cry out for more of the Holy Spirit. We begin to put ourselves in situations for the Spirit to work in us and through us and the what if went from a what if of fear if God doesn't show up to a what if of faith. If God moves, he's gonna be glorified and this community's gonna be changed. What if we quit living out of the what if of fear and we believe that God's promises are true and we begin to to live our lives that way? What if we believe that James 1, 5 through 8 is true? That we we can live, um, live in God's wisdom, that if we ask God for wisdom, that he will give it. What if all our planning, listen, What if all our planning as Christians and as the church, what if all our planning turned to praying and we didn't move until the spirit led and we knew we had the heart of God? Instead of just trying to figure out the best way to do things. What if we looked at the scripture and how the church operated? The last one. What if we quit stumbling over our own logic? Another well-known scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It tells us about how we shouldn't lean into our own understanding, but that we should acknowledge God, that we should trust him, that we in all of our ways should submit to him and that he will make our path straight, that he will show us the way, that through his word and the spirit of God, he will show us the way that we are to go, that he will show us the design of the church. And as we take one step at a time, courageously and boldly stepping in a what if of faith, not a what if of fear, we can see God move us to this design. And I believe as we begin to line up with God's form and we begin to line up with his design, we're gonna see the function begin to take place the way it was designed to function. But listen to me, we will never follow God, we will never become his church while we're leaning on our own understanding and our own logic. Because this is what typically happens. When God calls us deeper, we trip over our own minds. Our logic becomes this landmine of fear and excuses and I can'ts and prideful dignity and pessimistic, fearful what ifs. When the whole time the spirit wants to lead us in faith, Show us his competence. Fill us with he cans. Show us the power of humility before the Lord and compel us by optimistic, faith-filled what-ifs. And I'll say this, I don't believe that the church is in need necessarily of another reformation like the one that took place hundreds of years ago as we kind of came out of that Catholic system and some very brave men led us into a place where the word of God was put back into the hands of the people and there was a rediscovery of 
the truth of the gospel. I don't necessarily believe we need a new reformation, but I do believe this. The church does need a transformation. And the church has been in a transition to lead us to this transformation. We need to see a transformation by returning to the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. We need to return to what the word of God says, not what the wisdom of man says. When you look back at the history of God's people all the way back into the Old Testament and you look at the Israelites, the Israelites built on the wisdom of man when they wanted Moses to be their mediator between God and themselves. The Israelites built on the wisdom of man when they demanded a king to rule over them like the other nations. You go to the New Testament, the Corinthians, in the passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they're fighting over um, who are they going to follow, who is greater, Apollos or Peter or Paul, which one of these are greater. We're aligning ourselves with these men. And you look at it, and the Corinthians turn to the wisdom of man as they're fighting over other men. You come forward a little more, an early church leader named Ignatius, in an effort to combat false teaching and heresy, he built on the wisdom of man and established a hierarchy of bishops throughout the land. And he established these bishops in the church. And one part of the body began to be elevated higher than the rest of the body. And yet we don't see that in scripture. We see Paul telling us clearly that all parts work together, that we're all under the headship of Christ. The reformers, they built on the wisdom of man when the preacher of God's word, because the word is so, is so important that the word was put back into the hands of the people and the gospel was preserved. But the preacher began to be elevated above the ministry of God's word. And then we, us, in the most recent times, have built on the wisdom of man when we've elevated the pastor above everyone else. We've built on the wisdom of man by creating a religious system that takes ministry out of the hands of the people and takes ministry and puts it all in the hands of the pastor. And we've kept this, this whole thing that's been happening since the second century of elevating men, of even what was trying to happen in the New Testament times where they wanted to elevate one man above the other. But see, the difference was these true apostles, they weren't going to allow other people to push them up above the rest of the body. They humbled themselves and they made sure everybody understood that I'm just a part of the body just like you. And I believe this, that it's time for the church to return to God's design for his church, the form and the function that God intended. A people, one body, submitted to God as our father, submitted to Jesus as our head and submitted to the Holy Spirit as our God, led by servants, not, not self-serving, and no longer bound to the confines of sheetrock and brick and mortar, but bound to the mission of Jesus, bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit, bound together by the gospel of Jesus Christ and carrying that outside the walls and I'm here to tell you today, church, look me in the eyes. We will not be confined to the walls of this building. 
I'll say this again. Achievement and failure begin with what if. We're not going to live by what is the fear. We, through the power of God and the revelation of the Spirit of God, we can walk in the power of the what ifs of faith. Here's my question to you right now What are the what ifs that need to change in your life? I'll say this again. I've said this before. If you've been around, you've heard me say this probably. I do not want to get to the end of my life and ask the question, what if I had? What if I had stepped in faith instead of living my life in fear? What if I had stepped in faith instead of trying to preserve what I have? What if I had stepped in faith instead of trying to worry about how I'm going to make that next payment? What if I had stepped in faith trusting the promises of God as he leads me to step? What if I had? I don't want to get to the end of my life and and having left stuff on the table that God wanted to do, that God has planned to do, that God is wanting to work through us to do. But because we ask the what if of fear, not the what if of faith, We became paralyzed and never moved. I would rather try and fail than never try at all. And this is what I'll tell you. And I believe this with all my heart, not because of our courage and our competence, but because of the God that we serve, because of the spirit who is in us, because of the Jesus, who's given us victory, I believe this with all my heart, that we're not going to let a pessimistic, fear-driven what-if keep us from becoming who we are called to be according to God's design. I've been going back and just reading a lot of history of the church and the movement of Christ through the world, and It is all in the same time inspiring and heartbreaking. It's inspiring to see the the man I mentioned earlier, Ignatius. They began to set up these bishops. It's inspiring to see that this is a man who, because of his faith in Jesus, was literally fed to animals in the arena in Rome. But it's so disheartening when we look at the history of the church and we see so much missed opportunity, so much unfulfilled potential, so much left on the table. Yet it's inspiring to see that the church has continued generation after generation, even when it's been tried. They've they've tried to stop it. They've tried to stomp it out. And yet we see Jesus's words in Matthew 16, so true that the gates of hell will not prevail. The evil one will not stop the church. And that is so inspiring. Just the existence of the church after all she's been through over almost 2000 years should 
be proof to us of the power of God and the Holy Spirit. But it's so disheartening. And listen, this is, I want you to really hear this. It's so disheartening when I think about and even now in an empty auditorium, I, I, I can see your faces, so many of your faces. I know where you typically sit, the area you sit in. It's so disheartening to see those faces, to know the potential that's inside those people and to know that right now we exist in a system that in many, many ways hinders that potential from being fulfilled. There's so much more for the church. There's so much more that God will do. What if we embrace God's design? What if we courageously seek to discover and we courageously seek to align with God's design for the church? We're gonna pick that up again next week and we're gonna continue looking at that but I really want you to go back and ask yourself, what are the what ifs that need to change in my life? What if I live by faith? And what if I didn't live by fear? What if we as a church did the same? I wanna pray for us and then we'll be finished. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you stir faith within us. I thank you, God, that your promises are true. I thank you, God, that we can courageously seek your design for the church and we can courageously align with your design for the church. We can courageously see the form and function of your church, God, as you intended. Father, we ask and thank you that you give us more of your spirit because we know with your spirit comes truth, with your spirit comes clarity, with your spirit comes courage, with your spirit comes boldness, with your spirit comes power. And so God, we ask with a shameless boldness, not in our name, but in the name of Jesus, that even right now you would fill us again with the power of your spirit again and again and again, God, that you would flow in and through us as your people, even as people watch this from their homes, Lord, that, that they would even now know that the power of the Spirit of God is working in them, Lord, that you would touch their hearts and you would change them, God, because we do believe that you are still a God who takes people who are fearful and turns them into fearless people the way you've always done. And so I pray that right now for every person listening to this, that, God, you would touch their hearts and their lives, that they would draw near to you, not just in this moment, but every second of every day that the power of the Spirit of God would live inside of them and that they would step fearlessly, not living uh, fearful of what if, but they would take steps of what if in faith, God. Lord, we, we thank you. Thank you for bringing us into a time of transition.
And thank you, God, for leading us into a time of transformation. We worship you for it, Lord. We want to be a church, God. We want to be a church that only does what we see the Father doing. We want to be a church, God, that only does what the Spirit is leading us to. We submit our hearts and our minds. We submit our logic, our understanding to you. God, have your way in us. Here we are, Lord. Do your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Let's pursue after him. Believe his promises are true. Let's courageously take steps of faith uh, after everything that God's called us to. God bless you guys.